morning, everyone. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together.
Father, we proclaim you, we worship you as the God who reigns forevermore. This morning, as we continue in worship, we want to declare your praises with our voices, with our hearts, our minds, every part of our being. Thank you for being here with us today, for speaking into our lives. And we pray that you give us the sensitivity to hear you and to see you. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others here in worship today. Maybe introduce yourself to someone you don't know. Notice uh, there are some things happening this week that are a little bit out of the ordinary. Tonight at uh, 6.30, we will be meeting in the community room for, uh, to see this uh, viewing of this film, uh, Beautiful Things, Many Beautiful Things. Uh, it's about Lilius Trotter, uh, the center here for uh, Muslim studies and related to that. Uh, it's named after her, and uh, I just recently finished reading her biography, powerful story. And uh, this film is a, a documentary a bit about her life. Uh, she was a very gifted artist and, and uh, used her art, but sort of gave that up in order to serve uh, God, speaking to them, working with the Muslims in North Africa. So it's a powerful story. Hope you can join us tonight in the community room. Uh, Wednesday evening uh, this week for the Boys Club is the Buddy Keith Memorial Grand Prix sailboat races. Even if you don't have children in that, if you have an hour and you want to come and cheer on the kids as they do their races, I know that they would appreciate that. Uh, you also see a couple of inserts in your bulletin about some uh, ways you can get involved in ministry with our children, children's church and the nursery uh, beginning in May and through the summer. Uh, a lot of college students help us with these ministries. Of course, they will be leaving and we really use your help. It's a great way to give back and to care for our little ones, to show how much uh, we love them. So if you are able to help as much as you can, that would be greatly appreciated. And uh, also there's a, a note about the fact that we're collecting jars, canning jars, uh, something like this. If you have quart size, that's the best. If they're smaller ones, that's all right as well. And we have this church-wide project we're going to be doing in about a month. And we need about 200 of these jars. So if you've got some lying around in your house and you're not planning to put anything in them, because uh, we are going to distribute them out to people then when we're uh, at the when we do the project, uh, you can just drop them by the office, bring them to church on Sunday, leave them there uh, in the office area, and uh, we'll be we're probably going to have to create a whole new space in the church to collect all these jars. But that's okay, we can do that. But if you have so if you have some to donate, that would be greatly appreciated and uh, would help us with this project uh, coming up in the early part of May. I'd like to invite the ushers forward as we give back to God from all that he has given to us. If my heart is overwhelmed and I cannot hear your voice, 
As we continue in prayer today, if you'd like to come and use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, we want to thank you that you've made it clear that we are yours. You love us with an everlasting love. That you're at work in our lives and in the lives of our families and our friends and all that we are and in this world. And Father, in this world that is so often, so often described by shakenness and noise and fear, pain, struggle. We pray that you'd give to us a vision of your kingdom, of your truth, of your grace. Father, we pray for peace in our world of chaos. We pray that you would hold back the forces and the systems of evil that you would encourage every person who is working for justice and good. We pray, Father, for the leaders of the nations of the world, that their desire would be for good and justice and mercy and truth. Father, we pray that we would see the transforming power of your Spirit at work in our world. Father, we pray for your church. We ask that you would unite your people where there are threats of division. Lead your people to the truth of your word. Protect your church from attacks. We think especially today of the, of the church in India and the, those Christians who have been targeted by the Taliban, this bombing last week. Father, we pray for all who are grieving death and loss. We pray for the millions of believers in Pakistan to hold firm to their faith and to sense you leading and guiding and helping. Father, we pray for the church in Haiti. We think especially of Chris and Corey Teed and their holistic ministry there. We pray for their son Eli as he's in his first year of college. We pray that you would bless them as they minister among the great needs of this nation of Haiti. We pray, Father, for your grace as they work toward uh, an adoption. We pray that you would remove the roadblocks and bring fruit and help and success. Father, we pray for our own local church, for the ministries of of our church, and we think especially of the church trustees and the work that they do in taking care of our facilities. And we thank you for all that you've helped them to accomplish, and we pray that you continue to inspire them as they move forward and to sense our support in their work. 
We pray for the churches around us. And we think today of the, of the First Baptist Church in Angelica and Pastor David Ford. Bless their ministry and their outreach and bless the people of this congregation that they would continue to draw closer to you and to bear witness to your love and mercy to their community and beyond. Father, we pray that you would continue to bless this church, that we would love you and love one another, that we would have your vision, your wisdom, that we would be people of generosity and grace, and we might continue to bear witness to Christ. Father, we pray that you will heal our diseases, comfort our grieving souls, make us people who forgive one another, who care for one another. This morning, Father, we pray especially for Barb Rangel and Bill Duzema, for Bob Jobert and Rich Reynolds, for Calvin and Laurel Buecher, for Warren Woolsey and Bill Getty and Phil Muker, for Mike Raybuck, for Jill Tyson and Bruce Brenneman, for Bev Rett and Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth and Dick Gould, for Crystal Blake and Emily Crickler, and for others who may be on our hearts today. And we ask for your healing grace and your mercy in every life and every situation. Father, we pray for all of us that you would kindle our faith, that you would make our consciences sensitive to you, that you would strengthen us in our struggles. And that you would lead us forth in the strong name of Christ and in his grace. Father, we pray all of this in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Good morning. Scripture reading this morning can be found in the book of Revelation. We read Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, and then chapter 22, verses 1 through 6. Following the reading of the scripture, children may be dismissed for Children's Church and Junior Church. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
To him who is thirsty I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God and he will be my son. Chapter 22, verses 1 through 6. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Please stand as we sing together.
Please be seated. One of the important things about connecting to the church calendar is that it keeps important truths in front of us that we might easily forget. One of the things I think is important as we come to today is that as awesome as last Sunday was when we celebrated Easter and the resurrection of Christ and we witnessed people being baptized and we we sang the great songs of of Easter and resurrection... It's easy to have that great moment and then feel like, okay, now we're ready to move on to something else. But the church fathers understood that the resurrection is so important, so central, so significant, that as they designed the church calendar, they they said, we need a lot more than one day. And so actually, the season of Easter is 50 days. And it starts on Easter Sunday, and it goes for the next seven Sundays, and culminates just before we celebrate Pentecost. And so over the course of these Sundays, we are continually confronted and reminded of the importance of the resurrection, that it is central and vital to our faith. And over the course of these next few weeks, I want us to think a little bit about how the resurrection impacts Some things about just our ordinary lives. And so we're going to be talking about how the resurrection impacts our work and our relationships. And and, and how how it affects how we view the world. How we think about our possessions. And today, I want to think about how the resurrection impacts our view of the earth. Now, one of the things we talk about resurrection, I find that as, I, as I've been kind of talking through this with some people, I, I, think, I think it's important for us to understand that, you know, Christ is risen and he ascended into heaven. And the ascension is important because the ascension tells us, it says that when he goes, the Holy Spirit comes. But it also, he also promises that when, because he has ascended, he is going to reappear. Sometimes we call it the second coming. Sometimes we talk about the second advent. But Jesus will reappear, and when he does, he will usher in the fullness of his kingdom. What we've been waiting for. That all will be made new. As N.T. Wright says, he will put everything to rights. And he will, he will make all things new as we sing about and as we read about in the scriptures. And as we read about this morning in Revelation. And it's because we believe in the resurrection that all of that is going to happen. But the thing that I think is important for us to see is what happens when Jesus reappears. I don't know about you, but I was, I was raised to believe that on that day when the scripture talks about the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ will rise, that I was raised to, to believe that what will happen in that day is that we will leave the earth and we will go to heaven. To be with Jesus. And 
Sometimes that's called the, the rapture. Some, you know, it's, it's this mindset of, of, in essence, getting away from the earth and, and going to be in heaven where Jesus is. But the more I read the scripture and think about it, I'm not so sure I'm in that camp anymore. Now, I think when we die, I think we rest in Jesus. I don't know exactly what happens, but I think we rest in Jesus. Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise, whatever paradise is. And T. Wright says it means a garden, and so maybe it's a garden-type atmosphere. But we're with Jesus, and Paul writes to the Philippians and says, I, I desire to be with Christ. And so there is something about that. But, but when the resurrection happens, when Jesus returns, when he reappears, and, and he brings in his kingdom, I think more than likely we are going to be here on earth. And he's going to make the new heaven and the new earth. And this is our home. The problem, I mean, quite frankly, none of us know exactly what's going to happen. So take all of this, you know, just think through this a little bit. But as I'm pondering this, I'm thinking about the new heaven, the new earth. I'm thinking about the passage in in Revelation where where, uh, John says that I saw a new heaven and new earth and the kingdom of God was there. Jesus was there. Jesus' throne was with people. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if the resurrection doesn't take place, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, bodily raised, then you and I are not going to be bodily raised either. And the alternative to that is that we are just sort of spirits. But Jesus is bodily raised. And the scripture tells us that the resurrection of the dead and that in that time when Christ brings in his kingdom, we too will be bodily raised. And I suspect our bodies might be something like the resurrected body of Jesus that can be seen and recognized and he can eat, but also is very different too. And the problem with this, with thinking about leaving the earth is that it, it it buys into a mindset, a dualistic mindset that says the earth is bad. It goes all the way back to Plato, at least, who taught that there was a separation between matter and spirit. And matter is evil and spirit is good. And we're, tra- we're continually living our lives trying to get away from the con- confinement of matter and the evil of matter. And, and there is this mindset that the earth is bad. And we have to escape it. But that's not the image that I get in Scripture. I think, at least for me, a lot of my theology about this whole idea of what's going to happen when, that, when the trumpet sounds and Christ ushers in his kingdom probably comes as much from books and movies and songs as it does Scripture. You know, when I was growing up, there were, these, there were these movies about the end times that scared the life out of you and hopefully scared you out of hell and into heaven. I think that was the point of it. And the songs that we would sing, and, and one of the passages that the song talked about was in Matthew 24, where Jesus says there'll be two men working in the field and one will be taken and one left. And there'll be two women grinding grain and one will be taken and one will be left. And that, was, that always was interpreted as the godly people will be taken and the sinful people left. But right before this, in verse 39, Jesus is talking about Noah and the flood. And he says, it is Noah and his children who are left. It's all of the evil people who are taken away. 
Now, here's the truth. I don't know exactly. None of us know exactly. And I'm still kind of working my mind through this. But it makes me wonder. Especially because it makes a difference, at least it has the potential to make a difference, in how we view the earth. And how we view salvation. We tend to think of salvation as God changing our souls. And that salvation is just about the human soul. But when you read the scriptures, you find that God is talking about redeeming not just human souls, but all of creation. Jesus says in Matthew 19, 28, he talks about God bringing, regenerating his creation, making new, bringing new life to his creation. In Acts chapter 3, as Peter, in Peter's sermon, he talks about God reconciling all things. In Ephesians 1, Paul writes about God bringing to, bringing to uh, reconciliation all things that God has created. And maybe the most telling passage is in Romans chapter 8, where, where Paul writes about creation groaning under the weight of sin and waiting for the day when all of creation will be redeemed and restored and made new. Salvation, I think, isn't just about our souls. It is that, but it's about all of God's creation being redeemed. I think that is what God wants to do. That is what, that is what Christ is, has come to do. Not just this limited effect of, of one little part of our being, but every part of our being. And we will be healed in that day. And our bodies will be made new. And the earth will be restored and redeemed and set free from all of the, the, the struggles and the problems that sin has created for it. I find it fascinating when you look at the Beatitudes that Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That's always confused me. You know, I preached sermons about it, and you probably walked out as confused as I was if you were there when the sermon was done, because I, quite frankly, I'm like, I'm not even sure what to do with this. What does it mean to inherit the earth? It doesn't sound very spiritual to inherit the earth. And what's so fascinating to me is Jesus could have, Jesus could have said a thousand different things about what the meek would inherit. And he says, they will inherit the earth. And what's interesting to me is that when Jesus says, describes the meek, he's really describing himself. This is a term that's used to describe Jesus, his meekness, humility. It's what Paul is talking about in Philippians 2 when he says that Jesus, who emptied himself, who refused to grasp the fact that he was God and became a servant and humbled himself and even went to death. This is the description of Jesus. And, and he says, when you are like me, when you take on the characteristics of my nature and who I am and how I see other people and what I'm willing to do for other people, when you take that on, your reward is to inherit the earth. And you will, in, I think what he means is, on that day when Jesus appears and he ushers in the kingdom, that we will inherit the restored, redeemed, made new earth. And it will be amazing. Now, I realize that there are places in Scripture that talk about heaven and earth passing away. 
And in fact, in Revelation 21, he says, you know, heaven and earth will pass away. In, um, in Matthew 24, verse 35, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away. Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 7. Heaven and earth will pass away. And that, that is one of the reasons why there is, a, there is a, at least a theological perspective that we will escape the earth, that we will leave the earth. But again, that implies that the earth is bad. That implies that God has said, God looks at everything he's made and says, you know what, this really isn't all that good. It, it, it really isn't, you know, it really isn't that great. And surely I can do better than this for my children. But that's not the creation story. We didn't take the time to read it. When you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, five times at the end of every day of creating, God says, he looked at it, and it was good. Now, I have in my mind, I don't want to be sacrilegious, but I have in my mind this image of the Trinity going, yeah, high-fiving each other and going, that is awesome. Wow. We brought it today. Man, that was good stuff. Really? I mean, this is good. This is really, really good. And he gets to the end of it. He looks over all of it, including human beings, and he says, okay, this is very good. This is exceptional. This is awesome. You know, and, and they're looking at what they made and said, this is phenomenal what we have done here. This is amazing. And I just can't imagine God then, thousands, whatever years later, looking at it and saying, you know what? Yeah, it's really not that good. Let's just trash the whole thing and start over again. I, I have a hard time envisioning God doing that. And actually, when you look at this word passed away or destroyed, and you look at that concept throughout the scriptures, it, it really is often used in hyperbole to talk about purification. And often what God means when he says, this is going to be destroyed, what he means is, I'm going to purify it. I'm going to remove all of the dross, all of the impurities from it. And it, it, if, you're the, you know, if you're gold in a furnace and, and you're being burned and the dross being burned out of it, it feels like you're being destroyed. But the point is not to obliterate it. It is to redeem it. It is to purify it. God says to Israel in various places, I'm going to destroy you. I'm done with you. I've had it with you. I'm going to destroy you. Does that mean God's going to wipe them off the face of the earth? No. It means he's going to purify them. He's going to redeem them. And it's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. But it's getting to the end he wants. When I think about destruction, I don't think about God. I think about evil. The result of evil is always destruction. I think this came to my mind clearly in the Lord of the Rings movies. There's a scene from the Lord of the Rings, or a part of the book, I'm not sure that it's in the movie, where Saruman sends out his, his evil minions and says, go to every village and town you find and just burn the thing to the ground. And in the movie, it was especially visible to me. I think I have some images that you can kind of cycle through. Of just when you look over what has happened to Middle Earth because of evil being present there, it is destruction. That's what evil does. That's not what I see God doing. 
I think when God talks about destroying and passing away, I don't think he's saying, you're going to junk this whole thing and start over. I think he's saying, we got some cleaning up to do. We've got some restoring to do and purifying to do. But I love this earth. And in fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 20, God says to the Israelites, look, when you go to war against these nations, don't just go and burn down trees indiscriminately. The only, in fact, the only reason for you to burn down a tree is if you need it to, to cook your food or maybe it helps you win a battle. But everybody else around you, they just go in indiscriminately. They just burn the place down. That's not how my people operate. What, he says, what did those trees do to you? Are they your enemies? No. I care about my creation. And I want you to care about it too. You see, I think our struggle is that we have a tendency to think so in the sense of the spiritual realm. That all, and this is why our view of salvation is so important and why our view of what happens to us when Jesus is in the kingdom is so important. Because we have this sense that it's all just spiritual. That's all that really matters is our souls. And when that's our perspective, at the very least, we have a tendency to ignore the earth. Sometimes even abuse the earth. Because it doesn't matter. Who cares? What really matters is just our souls. Now, of course, there is the other alternative of that, the other false view, which is to talk about worshiping the earth. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, God's placed Adam and Eve in the garden, and, and the serpent comes to Eve, and where does the sin take place? What does it have to do with? It's a tree. And the serpent says to Eve, look, if you eat what's on that tree, then you'll be able to do what God doesn't want you to do. You can't really trust God. What you can trust is nature. You just, you just let nature feed you. You come and you, you take from nature. You worship nature. That'll get you what you want. And of course, it doesn't. And from that moment on, people have been tempted to worship nature. We see it all throughout the Old Testament. People worshiping nature. Isn't it? It's interesting to me that as you go through the stories of the Old Testament, you find that people use trees for shade and people use trees as a place to worship idols. Because we're always being tempted to one or the other. And I know that it, when you start talking about this and you start getting into the realm of politics... And political agendas of how we view the environment and how we view the earth. And, and we have a tendency, I think, at least it's been my tendency for a long time, to, to base my view of how I, how I treat the earth based on how people who are politically opposed to me think about the earth. And it's human nature to do that. Because politics is all about agenda. It's all about winning and losing. And often, we have this dichotomy in the political realm of the environment to say, you have to choose between caring for people or caring for the environment. And if that's the only choice we have, then, okay, we probably are going to choose caring for people. And we do see people choosing, well, care for the environment. I don't really care. It doesn't seem like the people matter that much to them. My question is, why does it have to be either or? 
why can't it be both? Why can't we care for people and care for God's creation? Why can't we care about taking care of the environment and care about taking care of people? I think that's a biblical perspective. We care about all that God has created, and that includes the trees and the flowers and people and everything God has done. Because God does. See, when I read through the scriptures, not only does God love creation, but creation loves God. I just chose a few passages uh, sort of arbitrarily as I went through. There are many, many more, but just listen to these words. First Chronicles 16, Let the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he's coming to judge the earth. Let the fields and their crops burst with, out with joy. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done this wondrous thing. Shout for joy, O depths of the earth. Break into song, O mountains and forests and every tree, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob and is glorified in Israel. You will live in joy and peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. What a beautiful image. The trees of the field clapping their hands because they love God. There is this sort of symbiotic relationship between what God has created and how he feels about it and how creation feels about God. It is this awesome gift that God has given us. And so we come back to our role in all of this. And we turn to Genesis. After God creates human beings, he says in chapter 1 that he, he created them and he put them in the garden. And then it says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, govern it, reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, all the animals that scurry along the ground. Our role is to be stewards of God's creation. Richard Middleton, who actually teaches at Northeastern Seminary, written a book called The New Heaven and New Earth, and I, I just finished reading it. It's very fascinating. And he makes a statement that I'm, I'm still wrestling with in my mind. He says, contrary to the popular notion that we are made to worship God, the Bible suggests a more mundane purpose for humans made in God's image, involving the development of culture and care for our earthly environment. And we've all been taught our purpose is to worship God. But when you look at Genesis, God says, take care of what I've made. And I don't think that just means the environment. I think that means culture. It means people. It means everything that develops on the earth. Take care of it. And I would say that's one way we worship God. I don't think that's the end-all, be-all to end-all. But I think when we think about worshiping God, what we tend to think of are things that we consider overtly spiritual. We come here, we sing, we pray, we read the Bible, we study the scriptures, all important things. And we confine that to worship. But I think worship is also being good stewards of God's creation. Loving creation the way God does. Not worshiping it, but loving it like God loves it. And that's our calling. Treating it as a gift that God has given us. 
I mean, you, know, you think about the uh, think about things that our children make for us. And you know, I, I remember I was thinking back to when I was in grade school and we did art class, and I'm terrible at art. I mean, I got F's in art. That was bad. I had, a, I had a teacher who took pity on me and let me do something that would at least give me a passing grade. I'm bad at art. It's not my thing. And I remember doing pottery, and, you know, we're supposed to make a bowl, and mine looked like an ashtray, which is kind of funny because nobody in our family smoked, you know. But people are looking at my mom and dad, and are like, oh, what are they going down here, you know. But, but you know, it, it was horrible. I mean, it's misshapen. It was an odd color. I mean, the whole thing, you should just take it home and smash it and be done with it. But what do my parents do? They're like, oh, this is so great. Thank you. This is awesome that you made this. Wow. You know, I'm, I know at night they're going, are you kidding me? Believe it. The kid made that? Wow, this is bad, you know. But to me, they were like, this is awesome. Because it was a gift. And it wasn't perfect. Our boys have things that they've made for us, ornaments that are on our trees. Are they nicer looking than the stuff you buy in the store? No. But we'll put those on our... (laughs) Don't tell them I said that. But, you know, we'll put those ornaments on the tree as long as we live. And if we break those store-bought ornaments, we'll be sad. But if we tear up something they made, that will be worse. Because they made it for us. And because we love them and they love us. And we care for it. Someone said to me recently that, he said, as I'm thinking about this, that it feels like sometimes that I'm more interested in caring for gifts I get at Christmas than I am for caring for God's creation and this great gift he's given us. You know, you, you think about what you got for Christmas, your favorite gift. Maybe some kind of electronics, clothes, jewelry, whatever it might be. And you think about how you care for that and, and you protect it. And, and you know, you, you want to make sure people are careful with it. And then think about what we do, you know, Throwing wrappers out the car window. Not thinking about how much we're using of energy and the resources of what God has given us. When they said this to me, I thought, wow, that is so true. I do that. You know, understand, I'm on this journey with you. This is not something innate in me. When I was a boy, our back, we had a fenced-in backyard. And it was probably the biggest fenced-in yard in the neighborhood. And so it was a great place for us to play baseball because you could hit it over the fence, home run, you know. As we got older, we had to turn to wiffle balls because we could hit them over the fence pretty easily. But so we had the bases around it, and second base was against the back of the fence, and there was a big rose bush right where second base is. I can't tell you how many times we ran into that rose bush, slid into that rose bush, got rolled into that rose bush. You know, we're all just scratched up from the thorns. And I can't tell you how many times I ran into the house and said to my mother, Can we cut that rose bush down? It is killing us playing baseball out there. That was my view of the environment, okay? That's my view of creation. It's in the way for things that I want to do. But God is working on me and helping me. And at the very least, we ought to be thinking about things like reducing. Reducing our our own wear and tear on this precious gift that God has given us. Think about reusing things that will lessen our wear and tear. Recycling. I mean, just those three things can dramatically change what we do. Think about conserving. Just, just in our minds, asking ourselves, at this, I'm at this moment, what would be 
what would be the best stewardship of this gift God has given us? And then do it. And there's something in us that wants to say, you know, one person, one family, one church, have the billions of people in the world, what difference is it going to make what we do? And I'm reminded of the guy who was walked down the beach one day and there were thousands of starfish on the shore dying. And he began walking along the beach and just picking up, throwing them in the water, throwing them back. Thousands of them, one guy. And somebody else came walking along the beach and watched him for a minute and went to him and said, hey, it's great you're doing that, but you realize you're not going to make a dent in this. It's not going to make any difference in the big picture. And the guy picked up a starfish and he said, yeah, but it'll make a difference to this one. And he threw it in the ocean. That's all we can do. But we can't do that. We can do it. Because we are so grateful for what God has done. And I think instead of seeing, taking care of God's gift of the, of the earth as a burden, a joy. We actually get to play a role in helping God's creation continue. We actually get to be people who have something to do with our, the generations that follow us having a better earth to live on. It's a privilege. And we do it because we are so grateful to God for this gift he's given us that is this gift we have now and and really the place that's going to be our home to come. And we get to be people. We know Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God's kingdom coming is going to be about redeeming and restoring and renewing this awesome creation that he's given us, and we get to play a role in being agents of little steps of making that happen. In the lives of other people, in the earth, in all the gifts that God's given us. And I think it starts with being grateful. I said to you a few weeks ago that um, I think it was Karl Barth who said that every sin traces back in one way or another to ingratitude. And I think that's true. And on the flip side of that, the good that happens in the world can almost always be traced back to a spirit of gratitude to God for what he's given us. And so what we do, how we think about the earth, it's not a burden, it's not a drudgery, it's not a struggle, it's a joy because we are so grateful to God for this gift what it means for us now and for what it's going to mean to us then. I often mention to you uh, things that I've, that I've read and, and picked up from the British theologian N.T. Wright. He has had a huge impact on my thinking about a whole lot of things, and this is one of them. And I, I read uh, as much of his stuff as I possibly can. And if you haven't ever read N.T. Wright, I would encourage you to do so. And I would start with his book called Surprised by Scripture. Surprised by Scripture. It's just a series of maybe about a dozen essays about a variety of topics, including this one. I think the thing that grabbed me when I started reading his chapter about the earth was his title. And I'll leave you with this. The title of his chapter about taking care of the earth, especially in light of the resurrection and the second appearing of Jesus, this was his title. 
Jesus is coming. Plant the tree. Jesus is coming. Plant the tree. Take care of what God's given us. And be thankful and grateful. Because what he's made is very good. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing.
receive the benediction. The God who created all things bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord bless you and give you peace.